for people who aren't as familiar with barbecue, isn't barbecue sauce just barbecue sauce no matter where you go? Oh, my God. I, I can <laughs> just hear Curtis speak. Come over there and whoop your ass. You could restore. Hi, and welcome to Backup Center's Restored All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And I have with me, uh, assuming that he can still breathe, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going over there, Prasanna? I can breathe. I'm good, Curtis. In fact, I think the fires have gotten a little bit under control. I think we had some decent weather, not as hot, lower humidity. So right. I think their firefighters are doing an amazing job keeping us all safe. Well, that's good. That's good because we're recording this right at the end of August, where um, you know you're. It's still a bit smoky up there, but it sounds like it's gotten better. That's yeah. Good. I think it's burned like one point two five million acres. Oh my goodness! That's yeah, I think ridiculous. there are three huge fires. I think the second and third largest in California are burning right now. Wow! At the same time, so it's a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to our guest. Uh, we have a new guest on the podcast. He's been in IT for uh, about 15 years, started off like a lot of us in desktop and infrastructure uh, support, moved into uh, data center virtualization, doing a lot of work with VMware. And he's saying in the last few years, he's been focusing on the cloud, especially with AWS and VMC. Um, also doing a little bit with Azure and GCP, like a lot of people. Uh, he's currently the cloud and DevOps engineer at Round Tower Technologies. You can find him at BonzoVT on Twitter and virtualbonzo.com. Welcome to the podcast, Adam Fisher. Thank you, Curtis and Prasanna, for having me. Well, uh, you know, I, I've been wanting to have you on ever since that I found out that you were uh, also into barbecue. That's really, a, I, you know, that's really <laughs> the only reason Curtis is having this, right? It's going to be talking about barbecue for the next like 20 minutes and then maybe five minutes about IT and backup. But is that so wrong? Maybe we should have a barbecue spinoff podcast. Just a barbecue spinoff because, you know, there is so much to talk about barbecue. Now, you you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, which as I, you know, when I t when somebody says they live in North Carolina, I immediately say vinegar or sauce. Right. And you know exactly what I mean. Why don't you? For those that don't that aren't from North Carolina, what do I mean when I say vinegar or sauce? <laughs> sure. Well, I, I believe that the sauce is more so Western North Carolina, and that is my understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I'm at in in the eastern part of the state uh, in Raleigh, it's more of a uh, vinegar, usually spicy vinegar based. Right. So um, we're talking pulled pork uh, yeah. mainly with just some vinegar, some hot sauce, mm -hmm. some pepper flakes, and so. For people who aren't as familiar with barbecue, isn't barbecue sauce just barbecue sauce no matter where you go? Oh, my God. I, I can <laughs> just hear Curtis me speak. Come over there and whoop your ass. Um, yeah, there's like, there's vinegar, but, but vin vinegar sauce, I don't know if we'd call it sauce. It's really just. Yeah, it's more just a spicy, a spicy whiter apple cider vinegar. So, yeah, because you, you actually roast it with that as part of it. So like the, the steam of the apple cider vinegar with the red pepper flakes sort of makes its way into the meat. Um, yeah. It's definitely not yeah. your ketchupy thick, um, kind of dunk right. it in as you're eating yeah. it type of sauce. And then there's, there's ketchup based sauces. There's mustard based sauces. There's, um, Oh my gosh, there's just so many sauces. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, you know, traditionally, uh, to me, barbecue was just slather Casey masterpiece on some chicken and throw it. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and so when, which, which I now, I now know to call grilling and yeah. not barbecue. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Um, so, so I, I know you and I've had the conversation, but you know, I, do, I, I try for Texas style barbecue here. Uh, once I, got into brisket and um you know and we don't put sauce actually when i make brisket the brisket is so yummy no one wants to put sauce on it i also love doing north carolina style barbecue and so does my wife uh, also loves that um do you do you actually do you eat it or do you do you make it what do you, what do you yeah um no i i like it all for sure I, I think the first time i moved to north carolina and tried barbecue i was a little bit shell-shocked 
thinking it was going to be <laughs> yeah. one thing and then and then tried it and was like i don't know if this is yeah. kind of different yeah um, but but I, I don't have any regional um you know I, i'm not a, a purist by any means so if it tastes good to me um that's the most important thing so i i do like it all ribs pulled pork brisket um i i like to uh kind of do the the full uh gamut of the the barbecue um that's out there i think yeah. when i used to fly into north carolina for work um i remember on my way out at the airport just grabbing some barbecue as a last stop before hopping on the plane now yeah. airport barbecue is probably not the same at all yeah. versus what you get anywhere else there but I, I remember, and I don't remember the name of the place, but I remember based on some recommendations of some locals driving 40 miles out of my way to go to a particular North Carolina barbecue place, uh, which is the complete opposite of, of stopping at the airport. <laughs> I, I, as, I, as I roll my eyes. Uh, was, it, you was it worth it? Oh, it was absolutely. I, it was worth it enough that I've done that probably three times. Um, but uh, hey, we didn't bring you on to talk about barbecue. Throw out our usual disclaimer, although Prasanna and I do both work for Druva, this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. And also, please, uh, if you like the podcast, please go to ratethispodcast.com slash restore. Um, you know, it, it's it, it always helps us with, you know, to get more listeners if you can rate us and also tell your friends about it if you like the podcast. And also, if you, you know, if you have an interesting story that has anything to do with, you know, backup and recovery, trust us, we will make everything you do at some point somehow about either backup and recovery or barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was reading your blog and I saw that you, it, it looks like you've been doing a lot with, um, you know, now I, I've been steeped enough in AWS culture to know that I'm supposed to call a VMware cloud on AWS, not VMC. But we're going to just call it VMC because the other we don't have an hour and a half to keep saying VMware cloud on AWS over and over and over. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I've I've seen a lot of interest in VMC, but it sounds like you have a lot more direct customer, um, you know, interaction with people that are using it. Yeah. How how has the interest in VMC grown over you know since it came out? Yeah, I I definitely have seen a lot of growth not only in the interest but in the adoption of it. Um, mm -hmm. it, it it is something that we've done a lot of at Round Tower and and prior to Round Tower uh, being uh, having worked for a, a previous VMware partner. Of course, it's hard to go to VMworld or see any of the the marketing and and kind of what's new out there without seeing something related to VMware Cloud, <laughs> VMC. Right. And um, so I think a lot of people had, uh, for sure, seen the the very strong push towards VMC and heard a lot about it and maybe knew a lot of the um, the 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 base level marketing stuff but uh it wasn't until i came to round tower and started getting my hands dirty that um i really you know got got pretty deep into uh the service and and actually saw the amount of adoption that is out there so certainly i think having the the service having been around for a number of years now for sure within the past couple of years i think there's there's been a a, a greater adoption towards um, looking at VMC as as a cloud solution. Yeah, I, I remember last year attending VMworld and hearing Pat Gelsinger's keynote and being like, oh, I finally get now why people are so gung-ho about VMC. And one of the things that struck me is a lot of people just look at it as, oh, it's just another public cloud service that I can start using. Just like, And then it'd be the question of, okay, why not AWS or Azure or GCP? And then it dawned on me, it's like, the biggest thing that I find about VMware Cloud is the fact that my skill sets that I'm used to using or the management tools are all the same, no matter if it's on-premises or running in VMware Cloud. And for some businesses trying to shift, that's a huge win versus trying to become an expert at AWS or one of the other public clouds where everything is so different. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know that I would say that it's exactly the same. I would, well, I would close, say, I should say. Yes. pretty similar, for, <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> but, sure. but certainly a lot easier than having to learn and 
entire new um, thing, like, like, you know, dive straight into AWS, like you mentioned. I I think the other power really with the service is just the ability to spin up a VMware data center, essentially at the click of a button. So, uh, you know, the, the things that usually required having to, go through um, a, a partner to, to buy a bunch of servers and get a SAN and, and uh, hook them up, rack them up and install everything and get it all together. I mean, that's really just the click of a button for you. So you can essentially have a VMware data center uh, in many regions across the world, really within about two hours. So that's, that's really, I think, the power that a lot of customers have seen. And then also the aspects of scaling up and down, right? When you add a host, like when your workloads start to grow, right? You don't have to go through that same process again, right? Of being like, hey, let me go buy servers and deal with this entire process again, right? Sure, exactly. Since it's been a while since I've had to manage, you know, a day-to-day data center, and, and certainly before the advent of VMC, one of the things when I looked at it and when I continue to look at it, the cost seems really high. Uh, and, and I guess part of it is because I don't have any frame of reference. I don't have, I, I don't know what the normal cost is to do VMware in a data center. So any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, it, certainly it is not inexpensive. Uh, if, if it were, I think a lot of, th- there might be a, a much wider adoption than there is. But that being said, um, I think that when the service was initially released, there there may have been some of that similar sticker shock of, of going, oh, this sounds great. Oh, but it costs how much? Um, and, and I think <laughs> uh, certainly a lot of organizations have, have put that into or, or taken that into consideration and really looked at well what is the cost of of running things on prem and um you know maybe that is in say your your office headquarters but maybe that is in a colo where you have a colo contract and then you have to start paying for power and cooling and um all of the ancillary things that that come with having your own data center and your own equipment that that runs that um, I, I think certainly from a financial standpoint, uh, really where it becomes something that, that could be attractive to look at is if you do have your own data center and um, it, really everything is maybe coming up for renewal all at one time where you're about to be out of support on your servers and your storage and your networking and, well, my colo contract costs me X amount of dollars per month, so... Um, let's, let's weigh all of those options against, uh, really just hosting all that same stuff in the cloud and paying for it as a service. So I think a lot of the cost has that baked into it. Yeah. I think that's a great point because usually when I've looked at VMC and I've always just like everyone else, I'd be like, oh my God, that is insanely expensive. But then as you're walking through this, you are right. People normally, like I never took into consideration, Hey, what about my power, my cooling, my floor space in my data center, my networking gear that I'm going to need, right? Normally, I would always think about it as, hey, it's my servers, and it's my storage, and it's my licenses. But no, there are all those other costs, which could actually be quite significant, especially depending on where you are and how much your network connectivity costs. If you're renting a data center foots. Uh, footprint in like Manhattan, for instance, which could be very expensive, right? All of these things could make VMC a very uh, compelling proposition. Sure. Yeah. I I don't think people like in general, people aren't very good at calculating the TCO of their (laughs) environment, right? Um, Because we we encounter that a lot uh, at Druva, right? Where where we're, we're trying to come out with something and people are like, oh, well, that's expensive. It's like, well, you know, look at the total cost of what you're doing versus just the price of the, you know, the piece of software that you're buying. Cause it's, it's the same thing with VMware, I'm supposing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a similar thing. If you think about the, I mean, certainly there are different use cases and, and I would argue um, that, you know, VMC isn't, isn't just a cloud service that's out there for anyone for any particular use case. Um, I think that's maybe where the the hyperscalers have really shown um, that 
if you can just bite off on things as a service for whatever service you may potentially need, um, that's where they ha- definitely have a lot of uh, value over something like you know, running your own data center. But there, there are some distinct use cases with VMC that make it particularly compelling to look at, one of which is also uh, you know, disaster recovery, because uh, similar to what we just talked about for spinning up your own data center, if you don't have a DR site today or your DR site is really just cobbled together based off of uh, equipment that that did go <laughs> off of and you're reusing it for your DR, um, the ability to uh, just host a, a, a VMware-based DR site in the cloud and spin that up without having to go through the whole process of building an entire new data center is also um, a, a pretty um, powerful thing to look at. And I understand with, with VMC, and again, um, just correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's an initial spin-up time, like when you create a new account and or a new host, but like you can spin up a, a bunch of hosts at pretty quickly. Is that how, exactly how, how would you use that in a DR scenario? Yeah, so they you do when you spin up a brand new SDDC software defined okay. data center. Um, right. It it you can you have a minimum entry point, and and typically that is three hosts. Although VMware has recently announced, I believe that you can do um, two hosts, right? Two host cluster, correct? Yep. Yeah, so so right now the minimum entry point is at that that two nodes, and and regardless of how many hosts you're spinning up, um, whether it's two or or ten initially, you do have uh, an initial two ish hour or so period of time where uh, you, you just enter a, a little bit of information um, and then you hit the go button, and behind the scenes, um, you know things like your your Bare metal servers are acquired from AWS, and uh, VMware is installed on them, and networking components, and yada yada, till the end product. Essentially, you say you, you get a two or three node um, cluster that you can log into vCenter, and you're off and running. And VMware automates all of that, right? All you need to do is just give it an AWS account that you kind of want to hook into, and they're just spinning up and creating everything else for you, right? Correct. Yep. You just say number of hosts that I want, what region do I want it to be in? Um, and essentially you hit the button and, and walk away or get some coffee, catch up on email, check back <laughs> about two <laughs> hours later. And if if your blue status bar has changed to a here's your cluster, then then you're good to go. And once you've done that, spinning up or adding additional hosts is a lot quicker. Correct. Yeah. So you can simply go in and just say add a host and mm-hmm. um, the so certainly there are some limits. So you can only have um, 16 hosts per cluster. You can have a number of clusters within one SDDC, but, uh, but that is correct. Yeah. It's, it's more along the lines of if, if just for example, if you have a three host cluster already and you just say add a host, it takes about maybe 10 to 15 ish minutes or so. Um, uh, of another little kind of spinny bar until all of a sudden you have a, a fourth host there available. And I believe that VMware also will automatically, in certain cases, add a new host for you, correct? As your workload scale or as your storage consumption um, gets more fully utilized, correct? Yes, that is correct. So there is um, the notion of elastic DRS, EDRS in VMC. So for any listeners who are familiar with VMware and and your traditional DRS in in a cluster environment where you can essentially vMotion VMs across the different hosts as needed based on performance, you can do um, you can set up similar uh, settings within VMC. So you can tell VMC that it uh, your cluster needs to have anywhere from five to ten hosts based on performance as needed. Um, the default setting, though, is is to scale for storage only, and uh, b- because the SDDC everything storage networking compute is all VMware based under the covers, it is uh, 
vSAN that runs the storage components within VMC. So that uh, for the storage only scale out, there is a trigger at 75% consumption of your storage space that it will automatically scale up an additional node. And um, that is a default setting that can't really be turned off just so that vSAN can perform at the way that it needs to be able to, to, to meet the SLAs for the service. Interesting. And let's talk about, you know, my favorite subject. Uh, how are people barbecue? backing up this? Yeah, <laughs> barbecue. Uh, how are people backing up the, I, I'm, I'm guessing there, there's a wide variety of, of ways that people are doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly there are um, a, a variety of ways um, to do so. And really, it, it, it kind of comes down to a couple of things. One, um, you know, what, what can you spin up that connects to vCenter? Because you're running VMware in the cloud, there's a vCenter there. So as long as you're able to deploy something that, that can talk and communicate at that vCenter level, theoretically, um, you should be able to back up the VMs that are in there. And then the, the other consideration really is, um, you know, if, if you're talking about backups and you're talking about vSAN storage, cluster-based storage, you don't really have um, storage within VMC that isn't part of your production storage. So <laughs> um, you definitely still kind of, play with the same on-premises backup um, uh, ideas that you don't want to be backing up your data into the same location that it's running on. So um, certainly... Three, two, one. What, yeah. <laughs> Curtis's yeah. other favorite topic comes in the barbecue. Yes, my other favorite topic is the three, two, one rule. So, um, But yeah, I mean, it definitely comes into play here. And, and that's where... Um, that's where the AWS native piece a lot of times really comes into play. And, and it, it is interesting. Sometimes I do have customers who are spinning up VMC, but really haven't done anything in AWS and, and maybe hadn't necessarily expected to do all that much in AWS. But once you start talking about things like backup and, um, network security and, and some other things, that's where the, the flexibility and the um, scalability and really the ease of uh, just spinning um, a small service up uh, at really kind of the, the click of a button within AWS native becomes um, you know, a powerful thing to look at, maybe kind of opens people's eyes as to how the two can can interplay together a little bit. Because even from within your SDDC, you can access your services running in your AWS VPC, for instance, if you had like an EC2 instance or even S3 and other things like that, correct? Correct, yeah. And, and VMware, there's a number of ways to do that, one of which is when you spin up your, your VMC service. One of the things that, another thing that is automated is the deployment of um, native network connectivity into AWS. Now, you, you these do are the to... ENIs that you're exactly. referring to. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and it and you do have to kind of define a subnet that you want those ENIs to be deployed into. So you have one small entry point. It's not just, hey, give us your account number and anything in this account can go there. So it, you kind of have to route that traffic into one entry point into AWS. And then from there, the rest of your native AWS networking takes over and, and you can kind of route and move around as needed. Um, but the, the good thing about that connection is that connectivity between your your VMC environment and that, um, that specific uh, connectivity point into AWS native doesn't have any uh, data transfer costs associated to it. So that's included with the service. Which I think so is a some, huge thing as you're going back and forth, right? Yeah. Someone needs to define ENI. <laughs> so ENI is essentially an AWS uh, network interface. So it's just a network interface that gets deployed into AWS native. 
And that network interface, virtual uh, network interface in AWS is uh, has direct connectivity to um, one host that's running within VMC. So each host has um, uh, sort of uh, its own network interface on the AWS side that it can communicate uh, uh, communicate to native AWS mm-hmm. services across. And E stands for Elastic. Elastic. Okay, that was a good guess. (laughs) Yeah, and one of the actual, so sorry, just going back to TCO, and I know we were talking about networking, right, is in VMC, I believe that um, you have access to NSXT to do all your virtual routing, et cetera. And so VMC provides you you another acronym without uh, defining it. NSXT is, let's see, they're virtual. I don't know that it has a name to it. Yeah, I think that that is just what they call the product, right? That is the product name. It's yeah, it's it's VMware software defined networking. Right. I, right. Yeah, and there there is yeah, I don't think there is a um Yeah, so and so that's I think another thing that people look at VMC and they think it's super expensive potentially than on premises, but you have to also include all these other components, right? You have a software defined networking stack, you have a software defined storage stack, you have your hypervisor stack, you have your management stack, right? There are all these things that you kind of get with as part of VMC. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and another thing with when you bring up NSXT is um so you certainly do have that running under the covers and and for the the service there there is one thing that is a little bit different for people who um you know are more familiar with running their environment uh on prem is that the management constructs within VMC are, are kind of locked down a little bit for you. So you don't just have free reign to go reboot your vCenter or um, configure the NSX controllers or anything like that. Um, but you do, you are given from a networking perspective, a bit of a, a management overlay. So you can't necessarily maybe do the, the full um the full gamut of what you could do if you just deployed nsxt on premises and had complete uh you know god mode over it um but uh uh yeah so so you do have a little bit of limit on on the network constructs and and a lot of that is also because we have to remember that um aws also is, is part of this service so yeah, it is VMware components running on bare metal servers, but from a networking standpoint, there's a lot of interplay and, and connectivity to the AWS network as well. And a lot of that is abstracted behind the scenes um, with a lot of work between both VMware and AWS to manage and maintain um, the ability for these bare metal servers to be able to communicate on the rest of the AWS network. So that that's another factor that I think comes into the cost of the service that maybe a lot of people don't consider. Yeah. And just going back to sort of the managed service part itself, right? So from a customer perspective, once I'm on VMC, what happens with patching, upgrading? I know you mentioned you can't just go reboot your vCenter, right? What happens? Like what does VMC kind of bring you? Or- yeah. So there, there is definitely a little bit of that, uh, the shared um, uh, security model, um, the shared responsibility from a security standpoint. So um, from a vCenter, uh, ESXi host level, all of that is really taken care of for you by VMware. So you'll get notifications that your, uh, your data center needs to be upgraded. Um, and they will go through the process of, of adding additional hosts at no cost to give you the flex room to be able to, um, you know, kind of go through a, a rolling upgrade to be able to do that. And um, but the, the other thing to keep in mind is that really ends at, at the hardware level. You're still uh, responsible for any of the VMs and the operating systems and the applications running on those those VMs that still falls under the customer's responsibility to keep up to date from a security standpoint. So I'd like to reveal that I've done some extensive research on the title of NSX <laughs> <laughs> while you two were talking, and uh, yeah, it doesn't really stand for anything. Uh, it just came 
it, it's just a follow on from ESX and GSX. And so it was NSX uh, and NSXV for VMware and then T for transforming or something. Anyway, Networking. so yeah, NSX. so it doesn't really, so long and short of it, it doesn't really mean anything. I'm glad I could solve or not solve that non-controversy. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Google's, Google's a powerful thing. Um, so, 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 oh, sorry. I was just going to ask since you were just talking about like patching and upgrading. So if I was on premises, I would, you would probably have someone who was responsible for dealing with all of this as well. Right. And what does it take from like, I've never worked in a data center and just from the planning maintenance, dealing with the upgrade, the planning process, like what go, what gets involved in that, that sort of VMC helps simplify yeah, so I mean, certainly from the, the aspect of keeping your underlying infrastructure up to date, uh, it's one of those things that it, it I, I would say, kind of takes that off the table for you. So um, now, now certainly uh, you do have to rely on VMware to do that for you and um, hope that there are no outages, which as of right now, I, I'm not aware of any customers that have of mine at least that have had outages because of a uh, upgrade schedule or any kind of patching um but really it rather than um having to plan that entire process it's more of a you get a notification you get an email and so i think there still needs to be some planning and discussion of okay this is going to happen but knowing that it's not something that uh that that maybe your infrastructure team oh. needs to deal with yeah sorry i meant when you were dealing with vcenter on premises what like how would you go about doing this right like i get that it's now super simplified with vmc and they take care of everything but like when you had to do this manually on premises like what like high level what were your steps and how complicated oh, sure. was it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I would say as a as a VMware admin, it certainly um, you could make it as simple or as complex as you needed it to be. Um, and uh, so, so you did have the ability to uh, kind of um, be able to just update at the cluster level, and and as long as you knew that you had your infrastructure tuned uh, in such a way that the automation provided behind the scenes would move things and uh, upgrade things in a rolling fashion, um, then uh, it, it you could make it pretty simple. But I think to get to that point, there's a lot of work that you need to do to understand your environment, understand um, the resource consumption, how much slack space that you had, uh, what kind of uh, VMs were running on there that, that might be problematic. So yeah, there's, I mean... There's there's a lot more prep work uh, versus maybe just saying, oh, hey, we got this email <laughs> and uh, let's talk about it and give everybody the, the thumbs up. <laughs> and I'm so. sure especially as a VMware admin on premises, if you had to now deal with the networking team or the storage team and coordinate and all the rest, that could also get pretty complex as well, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let me, let's talk about a couple of other uh, things. So j just to, I'll throw them both out and then we'll come back to them. So earlier I, I asked about what it's like to back up VNC, how, how people are uh, doing it. And, you know, your answer was kind of like, well, however they were doing their on-prem uh, uh, thing. And, and so my follow on question to that is, but it's not on-prem. And so I'm wondering about how people are dealing with, like if they're, if they were using, um, you know, a product that does, target that use target dedupe for example that didn't do dedupe inside the vmware host um i'm curious about how they're handling the throughput right uh and and the amount of data that's perhaps that has to be moved across what is now an internet connection versus a typical data center connection so that's the that's the first thing i'm, I'm curious about sure but but i mean you you definitely raise a great point that um <laughs> just because you were doing it on premises doesn't mean that that's the best way to do it <laughs> when you get to the cloud or even VMC. So, uh, you know, I, I think that is another um, sticking point in, in some of the 
uh, discussions of the service is that in, in many ways, yes, it is a VMware data center running in the cloud um, and you don't really have to change anything or at least from, from your application perspective, you don't really have to refactor anything, but you are running in the cloud now and there are other considerations. And if you're not going to be backing it up local within that same cage that you're running everything else, then yeah, now you've got new networking uh, constraints and, and some other factors that, that maybe didn't quite exist the same way that they were on premises. So um, I, I do think that there are, uh, you know, there, there are some times that you, yeah, sure, your applications have migrated up into VMC and they're working just fine. But now there's these X other number of things that that uh, aren't quite working as um, efficiently. At, and, and maybe you do have to do a little bit of refactoring of things like your backup process or um, DR or, or other things to make it really work the way that, that you expect it to in this new environment. They're using whatever they were using on-prem and, they, and they're not able to do dedupe like on the, on the host side. Are they, are they running it like the software? Like are they running it in AWS or something so that they're staying semi-local? How are they handling that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, it really depends upon the backup um, environment and uh, what what vendor you're using and what's available. So certainly I've seen a lot of um, marketplace uh, backup products that are essentially meant to be the, the AWS native version of something that maybe you were running on premises before you migrated. So there are some software products out there that that can do um, uh, similar things to maybe what you did on prem, but they're really just going to be essentially VMs that are running in AWS or wherever else that you want to um, ship those backups off to. So I know, like you mentioned, um, people might move their production and then now have to deal with backup and DR. In the meantime, though, do you see sometimes people might be doing their VMC backups back to their on-premises infrastructure? Or does that kind of seem a little backwards? I I personally do not see that, but I also wouldn't necessarily rule that out entirely. It it really just gets back to the customer's use case. Um, Certainly... In in the use case of, say, a data center evacuation where you're doing it to lessen your on-premises footprint, maybe that doesn't make the most sense. But in the uh, certainly there are other use cases where um, you could have hybrid connectivity and essentially you're running VMC as um, as just another production data center in addition to your on-premises um, to be able to, you know, scale up easily and quickly if needed. Um, and and certainly utilizing what you have on-premises might not be a bad option to be able to uh, deal with what your workloads that are running in VMC from a backup perspective. There was a second question that I had. We were talking about DR before and we, you know, we mentioned that, you know, you, you, you have to sort of keep this pilot light, uh, you know, configuration of two or three hosts running if you're going to quickly spin up hosts for uh, DR purposes. Um, So it would seem that that would preclude using it as only DR, right? It seems like that's an awfully expensive pilot light if, if, what you're using it for is only DR. So I'm, I'm, am, am I correct in guessing that people aren't doing that? Like they're, they're, they're using it as DR, but only if they are also doing other things up there. Because does it, are you following my logic there? Yeah, I, I would say that, I mean, certainly if there are customers who have zero DR um, and, and are evaluating the, the cost difference between we know we need some form of DR and should we build our own or put it up in VMC. Um, I think uh, the, the possibility of having it as a pilot like 
like you mentioned, is, is certainly I've seen um, some customers do that. I've also seen some customers who you know realize, hey, we know that DR is is the main use case, but we have all this storage and uh, compute power up there. We may as well utilize it for something else. Um, and and so certainly, yeah, I've I've seen a mix of both for sure. Um, and and the, I think to me the interesting thing is even the the possibility of using it and and not factoring in the whole pilot light. And you know if if you do have a DR scenario that that has an RTO greater than maybe three or four hours, um, maybe having your data somewhere else in the public cloud where you have the ability to um, wait two hours for a brand new SDDC to spin up on demand, you know, solely for the purpose of, of going through um, a DR uh, failover. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is an interesting option where you could uh, start with, without a data center being there and, and use okay. the, the quick and easy version of building one as as your entry point into that DR process. But you still would need some mechanism to pull back the data though, right? In that case? Yeah, exactly. I mean, certainly you, you would still have to, at, at the end of that, you would have a, um, a VMware data center and then you're off running to start the rest of your DR process, which might be install some some backup proxy or software that can connect to where your data is and start pulling it down. Or you could have some kind of automation built into uh, the end of that that process so that once that little blue bar <laughs> finishes and, and you have your three three host cluster, then you have maybe some scripts that, that kind of run for another 30 minutes and, and um, kind of initiate the, the beginning part of that process. And you, you made a good point that, that I that I hadn't really thought about it because I, I keep talking to people who want their stuff up in, you know, 20 minutes uh, that that not everybody has a, you know, a 15, 20 minute RTO and and not everybody has. Well, in fact, I'm going to say most companies. I don't know if that, if I can say that, but I'm going to say that most companies that I've interacted with didn't have like a DR plan that was anything better than we have a bunch of tapes in Iron Mountain and we really hope we don't ever have to use them. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> anything's better than that. Right. Sure. So if, you, if you've got to spin up a, a you know, uh, the, the data center in the cloud before you can then say how many hosts you want to have so that you can then do recovery to them, uh, that's still better than what most people have. That's, that's a really good point. And the, um, and the great thing is you can you know pay for it by the hour. So you can always spend a week testing it and spinning it up and knowing, okay, once I get the data center up there, what are the next 15 steps I need to take to plumb in networking and to make sure I've got connectivity to this and that and, um, and, and kind of go through maybe a DR runbook and you can test it out at a fairly low cost and just destroy everything. Um, and maybe practice once a quarter or twice a year and um, not have to pay uh, for uh, uh, right. three hosts just yeah. sitting up there for a year not doing much of anything. Just for testing. And uh, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I do remember, and maybe I just misunderstood what I read, when VMC first came out, it sounded like you couldn't do that. You couldn't have a mini host you know, like more than one or two hosts, uh, the uh, data center that you spun up, paid for, and then spun down. Uh, you you had to, if if you had more than one host, you had to pay for it for like a year. Did I misunderstood, or was was that is that something that's just no longer there? Yeah, that's well, that is a good question. There, I'm not sure if there are any uh, kind of billing gotchas back there or if there's like kind of an entry level to just say have a um, have an account without anything running and you don't get billed until it detects there's actually services running within that account. Um, but that that kind of gets a little bit to the, the whole billing back end, which actually at is a whole other world aside from the technical side of things. So, um, and I, I don't know the exact answer to that, but you, you might be correct. Um, but it is interesting in that it, you know, 
aside from the technical stuff we've discussed, there is kind of this whole other new aspect of the VMware cloud and other services that you can sign up for aside from just VMware cloud on AWS and, and a new portal where you can access that from. So it, it's definitely a little bit of a, um, a new landscape for uh, customers who at, to this point have maybe only been consuming VMware on premises today. And I believe, Curtis, that VMware does offer a single host for testing. I think they have a 30-day limit. Yeah. No, yeah, that's what I remember. What, But but also what I remember, again, I, I'm, I'm talking about, I, I was just addressing this idea of uh, keeping using, an account, but well, well, just for test purposes and spinning it up for a few hours or a day or whatever, and only paying for that time. I, my understanding was at least that base, like once you create that base data center that has two or three hosts, that that one has to stay there for a year. But I could be wrong. I That's think, the I thing think, I'm trying to find. Yeah, out. I. So I believe I could be wrong. That remember, there's all these other management components that also go with the SDDC. So I believe that you still need to have at least one cluster available for all those other components, like your vSAN for NSXT, everything else to be running. Well, and that's a good thing. Each time you spin up a new SDDC, you're going to have a new cluster with new IP addresses and um, new this and that. So so you're, you're right from the standpoint of you certainly wouldn't be able to do it and then document, oh, my vCenter is going to be this URL with this public IP. Um, you know, theoretically, you could do it on the fly and just know that all of those settings are going to be dynamic and, and probably different when you spin it up uh, that uh, that next time for DR and just know that your DR plan deals with the fact that you're going to have some some new settings that you need to grab on the fly. So that's not very uh, DevOpsy. <laughs> <laughs> uh hard to hard to code that um yeah yeah so yeah be interesting i i'll have to reach out to some vmware folks just i'm just trying to understand if again if i have no vmc right and i just want to use vmc for dr that you know can i do it like you're describing where i can spin up you know i'm going to say 50 hosts right and it's going to take me a few hours and then do my testing and then kill that the entire thing um, and then only pay for a few days. Or does yeah. that base SCDC have to be, uh, do I have to pay for that for some period of time? Yeah. I know, and again, there is on-demand hourly billing available. So um, I'm not sure if contractually under the covers, there's like a minimum to that or whatnot. I don't okay. think, yeah, right. I don't think there is for the hourly I think it's okay. whatever you use, you spin it up, you can destroy it, you're done being charged. And maybe and maybe that's what they, maybe they didn't have that when I first looked at it, but they've now added it, maybe. Anyway, and, all right. And d- depending on your RTO, I mean, you could uh, you could spin up that cluster, walk away, uh, you know, start smoking a brisket and come back and <laughs> get the rest of it going afterwards. You know what? Nice comeback. Nice, uh, you know, bring that back because it's about time to spin down this brisket. Uh, so Adam, thanks uh, so much for coming on and, and uh, talking with us. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. It was great. I know. Sorry for all the peppering questions about VMC, but it's just something I've been curious about as well. So glad to have an expert on the call. Absolutely. Thanks to our listeners and make sure to subscribe. And also please go to ratethispodcast.com slash restore to rate our podcast and uh, make sure to subscribe so that you can always restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Store it all e-
once it'll be completely done. Maybe